Let's come to Romans chapter 11, and we're going to proceed with class tonight. Uh, by the grace of God, we will make it to the end of the chapter. Let's hope we do, because I have two exams that I would like to, uh, to give to the Bible school students, those of you that are enrolled in the completion course or the degree course. <clears throat> you need to write these exams. And we have one for Matthew and one for Romans. But because this is the final night of Bible school for this semester, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you the notes at the end of class, and then you have two weeks to write both of these exams. So you, you can write them as, as soon as tomorrow if you'd like. But just as we've been doing, you'll email the, uh, <clears throat> your answers to the church email address, and you'll have two weeks from tonight to do that. All right, Romans chapter 11, uh, those of you on the student WhatsApp group for PBI, you should have received the outline, but I'll give it to you quickly now. This chapter, it details and focuses on God's plan for Israel. So part one, a remnant remains. And we're talking about the nation of Israel. A remnant remains, that's verses one to 11. Verses 12 to 29, we'll look at how God will receive them again receive them again. Now remember, we're talking about Israel. So a remnant of Israel remains. God will receive them again. Part three, verses 30 to 36, reach them with the gospel. That is the command that we are under now, to reach them with the gospel. Before we go any further, let's bow our heads and pray together and ask God to help us with this chapter tonight. Father, thank you that we can uh, continue on with our study tonight in the book of Romans. And as you've done so many days and nights before, please guide us once again. Speak to our hearts. Let us recognize your presence. Lord, whether it's something that we need to know, something we need to feel, something we need to do, whatever it is, change us tonight, God. Leave us better than the way you found us tonight. We want you to be in complete control. Help me now as I teach. Fill me with your spirit. Anoint my lips afresh, and I ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. All right, I would also like to point out, as we get into this chapter, the entire chapter is looking at the subject of, of how God is dealing with nations. Right? It's a corporate situation. There is a mention here and there of individual behavior, but for the most part, this entire chapter I would say it deals with the generation of the nations. Maybe even make both plural. Generations of the nations. That comes into focus. And you need to make this distinction as you study the Bible. Some passages are directed at an entire group of people, at an entire nation. And then other passages deal with individuals. <clears throat> even the Lord, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> in Job chapter 34, verse 29, this is pointed out. Elihu makes a point of this, that God will sometimes hide His face from a nation and sometimes from a man only. So th that's a distinction, a biblical distinction that we need to recognize. This chapter is dealing corporately with the generations of the nations. Specifically, the main focus is on Israel. And then as a result of Israel's failure, we are going to see how God then turns to the Gentiles. But you need to have that, that, I, that, uh, that in mind as we approach this. Chapter 11 and verse 1, Paul says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? 
That's the question that he's been building up to. In chapter 9, we learned where did Israel come from? What is their foundation? We, we saw that it was based on a promise that God chose the nation of Israel based on His, his foreknowledge about the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and there was a covenant given, a promise given. So that's where they came from. And then in chapter 10, we looked at where are they now? So there was a past tense, then a present tense, what's going on with Israel now? Chapter 11, there's a bit of a transition. We do look at what's going on with Israel right now, but then by the end of the chapter, Paul will point to the future and what will God do with Israel one day down, down the road. So I say then, hath God cast away His people? The answer is a resounding no. God forbid. It says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. There were some people that thought, now that Israel has rejected their Messiah, and now that God has granted this offer of repentance, He has offered salvation to the Gentiles. That means He is completely done with Israel. He has cast them out and cast them off utterly, to the uttermost, and He will never turn back to them. This led to, and, and to this day some people believe this, it, it leads to a replacement theology. Replacement theology is the idea that the church replaced Israel. God is finished with the nation of Israel. The promises, the covenant, all of that is, is done. And now God has chosen the church, the body of Christ, and put them in the place of Israel. And if someone goes down that path, what you have to do then is take all of those promises from the Old Testament and apply them to the church. And that can get very dangerous in certain ways, right? Because when God gave Israel their law, He gave them uh, laws that would govern their nation, right? It was a political setup. And that's why a lot of major denominations have, have been so involved in politics down through the years, is because they believed that they had taken the place of Israel and they were trying to employ all those laws that God gave that nation in the Old Testament. What we have to see is that the body of Christ and the nation of Israel are two separate entities. The body of Christ does not replace the nation of Israel. As it stands right now, a Jew can still be saved. To say that, God is completely done with the Jew. He hates them. He's turned His back on them. He's forsaken them. He will no longer reach out to them. That's not true. And Paul gives us evidence in verse 1. He says, what about me? I'm of the seed of Abraham, specifically of the tribe of Benjamin. So I'm, I'm Jewish, and God extended mercy to me. So we can see, if it, nothing else, there were obviously other Jews that had gotten saved, but just the Apostle Paul by himself is proof that God will extend mercy and save a Jew. Now, he, the way that God is reaching out to a Jew today is the same way that He reaches out to a Gentile today. The same Lord is rich unto all that call upon Him, right? Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. So the system by which God is saving people and creating this separate entity, the body of Christ, it's grace. A Jew would no longer be able to say, God, I want to live by that old covenant that you made with the nation of Israel back before the Messiah came. That would no longer help him at this point. Not, not, be, not the way God is now dealing with people. So verse 2, he says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Now this is something that I have 
talked plenty about, God's choosing of the nation of Israel was based on foreknowledge. It was not unconditional. It was conditional. It was based on what he knew they would choose to do, what they would do. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew, not utterly, not permanently. What ye not, now that's an old way of saying don't you know, what ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, we would say Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Paul is going to illustrate his point about how there is still a remnant of Jews that God is reaching out to even now. And he's going to illustrate it with this Old Testament story of Elijah when he got horribly depressed and what you might remember took that journey out to Horeb and stayed there in the cave. God tried to get him out of the cave and onto the top of the mountain, but he stuck himself there in that cave. And God came in and asked him and says, what do ye hear? And then he said this, this he gave this accusation about the nation of Israel, starting in verse 3. Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life." That was uh, Ahab's wife that was seeking his, uh, Jezebel, that was seeking his life at that time. So this, this part of the story, 1 Kings 19, chapter 19, verses 10 and 14, Elijah answered that same question twice. Uh, and he gave that, that answer both times. I am left alone, and they seek my life. So if you just listen to Elijah, you'd think there are no other Jews that are, that are trying to live uprightly, that are trying to serve God. They've all gone after Baal, uh, and it's just Elijah. But Verse 4, But what saith the answer of God unto him? Now the answer comes in 1 Kings 19, verse 18. God said in verse 4, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So the illustration, or the point rather, that he's trying to illustrate is that you may look at the situation and think, yep, God is completely done with Israel, but you don't see everything God sees. There were still Jews in, in the day and age in which Paul wrote this epistle as a nation, right, things were looking bad. But there were still Jews here and there that were coming to Christ, and God was extending mercy to them. And, and that's similar in the days of Elijah. There were, not many, but there were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal. They were faithful to the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that God had with the nation of Israel. So there's more than meets the eye. That's the point he's trying to make. When you think Israel's down and out and completely gone, you might be surprised what you'd find. So verse 5, he says, Even so then at this present time also there is a remnant. Now, now watch carefully what he says at the end of the verse. According to the election of grace. In verse 4, there was a remnant, 7,000. But what was the qualifications for being part of that remnant? You couldn't bow the knee to Baal. Right? You, couldn't put, uh, you couldn't have another god. Right? That's the first commandment. Have no other gods before, uh, beside me, before me. So under the Mosaic covenant, they had to be faithful and obedient to what they had agreed to, that we will keep these laws. And then God said, okay, then you are Israel indeed. You might remember that from Romans 9. So there, there were, was an element of works involved in keeping that covenant. But verse 
5 says there's a remnant now. There are Jews now that are being chosen. How are they chosen now? It has nothing to do with not bowing the knee to Baal. Now, if you want to be considered chosen, you have to be in Christ. You have to receive the grace that God is offering. That grace, right? God offers it. You don't deserve it, but it is received by faith. You might remember this. I'm just going to read it to you. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. Right? So the current system by which God chooses people, He extends grace, they accept that grace, and once they have chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior, God says, I choose you. So that the election of grace, they're chosen people, Jews included. And by the way, Paul's focus is Jewish people in the first five verses, but even Gentiles, right? We can be considered part of this election of grace if we have uh, accepted that offer of free salvation. Now, verse 6, Paul is, he, he really works this verse. I mean, you know, he's really ringing things back and forth, trying to get the most out of this point. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. He's gone a long way to say you cannot mix a system of grace and a system of works. Because if you mix works into the system, then God owes you something. It's a debt. It's a reward for what you've done. If it's grace, then, then He can give it to you as a gift. You receive it by faith. Right? Paul has already explained this back in Romans 4. You might remember verses 4 and 5, right about there. Uh, this tells me something. Right now, the system by which God is saving people, by which He is choosing people into His family. It is a system of grace. It is of grace. In the Old Testament, it, the system was of works. Now, some people will make the contention here, but even in the Old Testament, you find grace. Guys, that, yes, this is true. God's grace is evident from day one until the very end of time. There's always going to be grace that God extends to mankind. But you have to make a difference between God offering people something they don't deserve, which is an act of, act of grace. There's a difference between an act of grace and a system of grace by which God saves people and operates in them and includes them in the body. That's a different thing. So you'll find plenty of verses in the Old Testament, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and so many examples in Israel's history of God dealing with them graciously. But that doesn't mean it was a system of grace. The system that they operated under was one of works. All right, verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. One moment. <clears throat> All right. Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. What is Israel looking for? Look back at chapter 9. Look with me at verse number 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith. What were they looking for? What were they trying to obtain? Righteousness. But they couldn't obtain it. 
So come back to chapter 11 and verse 7. Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election, the group of saved people, hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So the people who who accepted that offer of grace, they found not just the, the righteousness which a man can obtain for himself by keeping the law. They obtained perfect righteousness in Christ, the righteousness of God. And it says, and the rest were blinded. When grace has been extended to you and you reject it, right? Now we've talked about this plenty. Light rejected becomes darkness eventually, right? Not right away, but you keep turning it down, rejecting it. God says enough is enough. I'm going to give you what you deserve. He starts off gracious, kind, loving. We talked about that this morning. But if you don't want the truth, he says, okay, you want to lie. I tried to give you truth for years, but here's what you get. God was very patient with Israel. So the blinding that they received was deserved. Uh, And then in verse number 8, according as it is written, God hath given them. Notice the corporate nature of this, them, the whole nation. God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear. So Paul throws a verse, a couple of verses actually, into the middle of his explanation. Notice where the parentheses are. Uh, the rest were blinded, no punctuation. You might remember I've pointed that out before, that there are seven verses in a King James Bible that have no punctuation at the end. This is one of them. The rest were blinded, and then if you skip over the parentheses, they were blinded unto this day. And then Paul throws in these couple of cross-references so that you know what he means when he says they were blinded. That is, they have this spirit of slumber. God is reaching out to them, but it, it just is foolishness to them. It's weakness to them. They look at it and say this makes no sense, even though... The offer of grace is pretty straightforward. Now, the cross-references, he quotes Isaiah 29, verse 10, and Isaiah 6, verse 10. It's kind of a combination of both of those verses. I'll let you look those up later. We've talked about this, the the, the eyes that don't see, the ears that don't hear. We've we've talked about that recently in Matthew 13, so I'm not going to spend long explaining it here. I I believe you understand that concept. Verse 9, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, there's the blindness, and bow down their back always. So by quoting Isaiah, we can see that there is room in God's plan for how He deals with Israel, that if they reject His revealed truth and His offer of grace, then God said that He would do this. Now, in the mind of Israel, God had done this as they went into captivity under the Babylonians, Media Persia, Greece, Romans. That was the time when they, they, they couldn't see right clearly when is all of this going to end. They did not recognize, right, and, and that's why later in the chapter, Paul's going to say that this was a mystery. They did not think that God would do this for such a long stretch of time. They figured that the blindness would end at the, you know, after the Roman Empire falls. But because of their rejection of the Messiah, this blindness gets extended much longer than anyone could have foresaw. Now, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 69. That's where uh, Paul quotes from David. Look at Psalm 69. 
And Dave, um, Paul, rather, the two verses he quoted is Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. Right, Psalm 69, Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. Now you can you can see there the cross references that Paul used. However, I want I want to show you the context of this. Let's begin reading at verse number 20. Let's look at verse number 20. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Who's saying this? You say, well, David wrote it. Well, historically, this is true. But look at the next verse. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, who's saying that? This is what we call a messianic psalm because, yes, David's hand might have penned these words, but he's speaking prophetically. This is something that Jesus said. This is something that happened to him. Now, that means what comes next. We can legitimately say that this was something Jesus prayed against, not for, but against the nation of Israel. Now, now here, here's what you've got to see to get the whole picture. He's up on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God, give them another chance. And then, at the same time, we have these verses. Verse 22, Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Now, the way Paul quoted this in Romans Bow down their back always. That's just an alternate uh, translation of, of the Hebrew words that you find at the end of that verse. So there's, there's no struggle with that. Look at verse 24. Pour, uh, uh, Psalm 69, 24. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. There's the dispersion. 70 AD. Verse 26. For they persecute him... Him personally, Jesus, whom thou hast smitten, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And they talk to the grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. That's the issue of Romans chapters 10 and 11, how to obtain righteousness. Jesus says they've rejected me. God, don't, don't let them come into thy righteousness. Now, how do, we, how do we deal with Jesus on the cross praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then having this prophetic prayer from the Messiah. God, give them another chance. You know what God did in the beginning of the book of Acts? He answered Jesus' prayer. Forgive them. And, and God extended mercy and gave them another chance in the beginning of Acts. Chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. You can see in there that he extended the gospel and tried and he reached out to the Jews. But then by Acts 7, Stephen stands up filled with the Holy Ghost, preaches one of the best sermons in the New Testament. And at the end of that sermon, he said, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Like that other generation, you're doing it as well. And that's when God said, okay, enough's enough. I gave them a chance. Now I'm going to answer Jesus' other prayer. And I'm going to send them darkness. Look at Psalm 74 while you're in Psalms. Psalm 74, 
Psalm 74, and look with me at verse number 9. This is, a, this is the nation of Israel speaking about their current situation. Psalm 74, verse 9. That's the attendance code for tonight. We see not our signs. Well, how does God reach a Jew? How does He confirm truth to the Jews? Jews require a sign. This started with Moses in the book of Exodus. Jesus acknowledged it several times during His ministry. Paul wrote it, 1 Corinthians 1.22, which I just quoted. And now, as God has turned His back on the nation temporarily, what do they say? We see not our signs. Well, if a man can't see, he's blind. This is blindness. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. What does it mean to say God cuts off the nation? What does it mean to say God temporarily turns His back on it? on them. What does it mean to say they have the spirit of slumber? What, what does that mean? This, this blindness that we're talking about in Romans 11, it means God is no longer making the offer clearly to them. They don't have a prophet standing up addressing them as a nation saying, thus saith the Lord. They don't have that. Not like they had in the Old Testament. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there any among us that knoweth how long. You see, that's the problem. They, they thought, well, it should be over by now. But it's still going. Come back to Romans chapter 11 and verse number 11. <clears throat> Romans 11, verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. Paul says, no, no, that's not the case. But rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them, Israel, to jealousy. Now, wait a minute. Have they stumbled that they should fall? No. But through their fall, salvation got to the Gentiles. Well, they fell? No. But they fell. How can that be? Now, this is one of those cases. The context in and of itself makes this clear. Okay, You don't have to know Greek to understand what's going on here. Have they utterly fallen? Are they completely destroyed and wiped out and finished? No. Have they temporarily fallen? Yes. Did they make a mistake? Yes. In that sense, they fell. But in the permanent sense, they haven't fallen. Now, I, th I think that's clear just from the context. But I'm going to give you some Greek behind it as well. The, the Greek, you see the word fall the first time in the verse. That Greek word is pesosin. Pesosin. And that word means to experience a loss of status or condition. It can be translated fall, which here you have it. It could mean be destroyed or be completely, utterly ruined. Okay? Now, is that the case of Israel? No. They are still God's chosen nation. Right? As a nation, that promise that He made to the forefathers, it still stands. So that is, that is still there. Then you see the word fall for the second time in verse 11. God forbid, but rather through their fall. That Greek word is paraptoma, paraptoma, which can also be translated as a fault, fall, offense, commit an offense, a wrongdoing, or a transgression. So have they stumbled? Have they, have they made a mistake that will cause them to be completely and utterly destroyed, never again God help them? No. But through the transgression, through the mistake that they made, that stumbling, right? They stumbled at the stumbling stone. Because of that, 
God has now said, okay, if you don't want it, I am going to offer it to the people that you despise and look down on just to try to get your attention, to provoke them to jealousy. God extends it to the Gentiles. Verse 12, now if the fall, that's the same Greek as the second fall in verse 11. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world. All right, so God says, Jews, you don't want it? Here you go, Gentiles. I'll let you come in and you can be on equal footing. You can be part of my my." chose my people as well, right? Not part of the nation of Israel, but you will also be considered my people as now that you're in the body of Christ. So the riches, the world, the Gentiles obtain these spiritual riches through what's through God reaching out to them. If the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Now you can see the point that Paul is now starting to make. He's saying, and this is where the Gentiles are going to start to get a warning. He says, you, you Gentiles, you're rejoicing in that God is now offering you all these great things and this privilege of being called His, <clears throat> His people. This is with God angry at Israel and punishing them. What do you think it's going to be like when they get right and God reinstates them? How much better do you think things are going to be? It's great now that God's reaching out to us. Wait till these chosen people, this, this nation, gets right and takes their rightful position. In verse 13, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as, <clears throat> inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. So Paul's calling primarily was to go to these other people. I magnify mine office. I'm trying to make a big deal of it. Why? Verse 14, if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh. To provoke to emulation, I'm trying to get my kinsmen, my, my fellow Jews, to do the same thing that these Gentiles are doing. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. So he says, I'm really driving this point home strong that God is reaching out to the Gentiles because I want the Jews to see I, I want this to stir in their minds and, and provoke them to think about it. In verse 15, For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. God puts them aside temporarily, and now He ministers to the Gentiles and brings them back to Himself. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? He says, guys, it's, it's going to be like a resurrection. When Israel... Right, when God regathers Israel and restores them as a nation, coincidentally, there is a physical resurrection of Old Testament Jewish saints. They do come up at that time. That will happen right after the second coming of Christ. It's, it's the same point that Paul was making a, a couple of verses back. Guys, if, if God has brought believers together into the body of Christ, and this is a great thing now, what do you think it's going to be like when the nation of Israel gets right and restores them? It's, it's going to be as joyful as a resurrection, life from the dead. Almost if you want to think of it like the prodigal son coming home. He was lost and now he's found. He was, <clears throat> he was dead, the father in that parable says, and is alive again. So that prodigal son is a good picture of the nation of Israel. Getting right, coming home. Verse 16, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. All right, the first fruit. 
This is the first portion of crops that you bring in out of the field. So you can think of maybe wheat or corn. And then if you bring it in and it's good wheat, corn, it's clean, holy, right? It's, it's pure. Then the lump, the bread, that you, the dough that you would make from that is also going to be clean, right? If you start at the first fruit is clean and good, then you can have a, a clean and good lump. The same thing is true of the next thing. If the root is good, then the branches, the fruit can also be, be good. Now this, I believe, is where a mistake enters into the passage, or at least in, in, our, in a lot of people's interpretation of it. They look at this and they say, Israel is the root. Israel is the first fruit. And we Gentiles, we, we got added in later. So we are the second part of that. We're the lump. We're the, we're the branch. That's not the case at all. The first fruit, I believe, and the root of this is God, and more specifically, Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse number 23, it says, Christ the first fruits. Now he's referring to the resurrection there, but it, I, I think you can see the connection. In Revelation 22, Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. When we look at the first fruit and the root, we're looking at God. That's where it starts. God offers people a covenant. He extends and reveals to people what He requires for them to be one with Him, to have fellowship and walk with Him. Right. So if it starts with God and He is holy, right? He is clean, He's good, He's pure, He extends this offer. Now, there's, if people agree with this, and go along with it, then they can also be pure. Be ye holy, for I am holy, that type of thing. Verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off, what are the branches? Various generations of Israel. They are the branches that are broken off. Various generations of Israel. Israel is not the root. Israel is not the first fruit. Israel is just one of the we can say various generations of Israel. They are branches on this metaphorical tree. Okay. He says, If some of the branches be broken off, and thou, speaking to the Gentiles corporately, and thou being a wild olive tree, you, you, come, from some, you come from a completely different system. You didn't start off with God saying, let's walk together. Right? God extended this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, eventually to Moses. He made a covenant. He made a deal with them. So it started with God as something holy, and then the nation of Israel could be God's holy nation, peculiar people, right? sanctified in righteousness. But the Gentiles didn't have that. They were a wild olive tree. It says, and thou being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. So various generations of Gentiles get grafted into this extension of God's mercy and God's revelation, of God showing people, this is what I require of you to be acceptable to me, for us to get along. God extends these offers now to Gentiles. Right? In the, in the past, He didn't do it the same way, but now He's doing that. Thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So now we are partakers of Christ. We're partakers of God, of what God has to offer, the fatness. You can think of this as the Spirit of God. We partake of that. 
Israel is just one branch or various generations of Israel. They are the branches. And generations of Gentiles now, places all over the world, they are also branches. If they accept the offer, the covenant that God is now offering, the new covenant, that is that system of grace, then they can be grafted in. and They can walk with God and have that fellowship. Verse 18, Boast not against the branches, warning Gentiles, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. He's saying, you Gentiles want to brag and look down your nose at the Jews and make fun of them and, and uh, despise them. He said, be careful. Guys, the only reason you're a part of this tree, it's not because you deserve it. The root is what makes you special, makes you holy. It's not like you figured it out. So you, you can't turn up your nose at the Jews too, too much. The root bears thee. And that's what certain Gentiles, see, that was the thinking. God has now turned to us. It's our time, so you Jews get away. They were kind of you know, trying to maybe repay some of the, um, what can I say, snobbery, if, if that's a familiar word to you. The Jews turned up their nose to those lowly dog Gentiles for so long. Now the Gentiles figure, well, we'll do it to you. He says, be careful. The reason that anything special is going on with you is because of grace. It's not because you earned it. Verse 19, Thou wilt say then, The branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Again, Paul's done this in the book of Romans several times. He knows the arguments. He knows what the people are saying. He says, you, you guys might be tempted to say this, or maybe they were, you know, they were saying this. The, the Jews were broken off so that the Gentiles could take their place, as if this was all part of the plan. And look at Paul's response to that in verse 20. Well, he's not, he didn't say God forbid, because there is some truth in the statement. The Jews, right, the gener that evil and adulterous generation that rejected the Messiah, they were broken off. That is true. And it is also true that various groups of Gentiles Right? We're grafted in. That's also true. But it's wrong to put that word that in the middle of it. Verse 19, that's the problem. You can't put that in the middle there. You can't say they were broken off so that I could take their place. But it is true they were broken off, and it is true that Gentiles have come in and been grafted into that tree. But you can't say that God had this thing planned out so that they would have to be taken out. That wasn't it. Verse 20 says, well, <laughs> hang on a second, let's get this right. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. Not because God foreordained it. Because they didn't receive the offer. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Again, addressing Gentiles. So how do you know that? Verse 13, I speak to you Gentiles, talking to people groups, not individuals, not individuals. He's talking to corporate groups. Be not high-minded, but fear. Verse 21, for if God spared not the natural branches, that'll be the reference to Israel, take heed lest he also spare not thee. So God offered this covenant to Israel. They didn't keep it, broken off, and God is no longer reaching out to them. 
Now the, the covenant he offers is the covenant of the New Testament. He's no longer sending prophets to them like he did to, to make it abundantly clear. He says, you Gentiles, I am extending my offer to you. But if, you can, if, if generation after generation rejects the offer, God might just pull back. And he would do exactly what he did to the, uh, to the Jews. He could do that to the Gentiles as well and say, I, I gave you a chance. For decades, generations, I extended mercy to you through giving you the gospel, sending missionaries to you. But you turned it down long enough. Enough's enough. And God would go on to the next people group. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest He also spare not thee. Verse 22, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God. So in the way He is currently dealing with Israel and with the Gentiles, with the rest of the world, we see both sides of God. Goodness and severity. Punishment. On them which fell, the Jews, severity, but toward thee, Gentiles as a group, goodness. Now, now pause just a moment. Goodness. Let's get into that. When he says God's goodness, what, what does that imply? Romans 2 verse 4, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now, I want to really emphasize that. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The goodness of God does not automatically save you. The goodness of God extends the offer to you. Right? This is, if you can think of it in your mind, the missionary shows up. The power just came on. The missionary shows up and he offers the gospel right, to an entire, to everybody he can see, to the entire nation if he can. Right? That's the goodness of God being extended. So in, and if, if that nation as a whole receives it and says, we want to be a part of this as a whole, God says, okay, then I will, I will continue to show you goodness. I'll continue to reveal more and more to you. My grace and my mercy will be extended to you. But if that nation, if that group says, Enough's enough. We don't want Christians here anymore. And there have been lots of nations that have done that. That these nations went you know, for the gospel for a while, but then some heathen king, something happened. They got overrun by something. And eventually they gave up on Christianity. And whew, when God turns away, whew, we see the severity of it. He said in, in the middle of verse 22, But toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness... Notice this, continue in His goodness. Keep that in mind. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. So exactly what God has done to the Jews in turning His back, giving them this blindness, this spiritual slumber, He can do that to a Gentile nation as well, to a Gentile generation. Now let me run a few references with you. Take your Bible if you would. Come to Hebrews chapter 3. In verse number 10, I want to show you an example of God dealing with a generation of Israelites that suffered from unbelief. Hebrews 3, verse 10. There are a lot of people that use Romans 11, verse 22, to try and prove that you can lose your salvation. And I don't think that Paul's teaching that at all. As I've mentioned several times, he's addressing 
uh, nations, generations of the nations. It's a corporate thing. It's not individuals. Hebrews 3, look with me in verse 10. This is a story of when the Israelites, uh, they were supposed to march into the land right, of, of Canaan and take possession of it, and they got scared of the giants. Remember, they, the spies brought, brought back the report, and they did not believe that God was going to give them the land. Uh, Hebrews 3.10, Wherefore I was grieved, watch the next three words, with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. That only applies to that generation. And they didn't. They wandered for 40 years. They all died out. The children, the next generation, got to enter in. Generations of the nations. This is what we mean when we say God cut you off and says, enough's enough. I gave you a chance. You rejected it. So now you're just going to wander around and spin your wheels. Take your Bible. Come to, hold Romans. Come to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And let's get verse number 18. Peter is telling his story of how God opened the door to the Gentiles, how he commanded Peter to go to the Gentiles, and how Cornelius and his household got saved. After the, the Jews in Jerusalem heard the story, verse 18, this is what they said. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now when you read that, do you... Do you think, oh, that means all Gentiles are saved? No, obviously not. What are we talking about here? Gentiles can also be saved now. Gentiles have to respond properly to the offer that's being made. They have to, verse 17, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But God is giving the Gentiles a chance. This holy root is now extending the offer to this people group. And because those Gentiles accepted it, God continued to offer the message and the covenant and the, the, the grace to those people. Look at Acts chapter 13. Acts 13, look at verse 43. Remember I emphasized in Romans 11, he says, continue in His goodness. What is the goodness? God offering you repentance. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. It doesn't automatically save you. Acts 13, verse 43. Now when the congregation was broken up, this is Paul, by the way, preaching in a synagogue. There were many Jews there. There were also quite a few Gentiles. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. They were not saved yet. They weren't saved yet. But there were some Jews and there were religious proselytes. That means they were Gentiles that had converted to Judaism. They liked what Paul was preaching. The offer was made and they said, we want to hear more. He says, all right, God is being good to you. Grace, but continue in it. They said, okay, we want to hear more. He said, come back next week. You'll hear it again. And they did. They came back the next week and they got saved. You can read the rest of the story there. Look at Acts chapter 28. Acts 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 
sorry, verse 28. Paul's preaching to a group of Jews. You can just let your eyes skim down the passage. Verse 27, the heart is wax gross, the eyes, the ears, there's a problem. Verse 28, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, that, and that they will hear it. Does this mean all Gentiles are saved? No. What it means is God is going to extend the offer to them. And they will hear it. They did. Many Gentiles, as the, when a gospel first reaches a new place, often you'll find there's a great revival. And then as time goes on, it goes from a man to a movement to a machine to a monument and then back to, back to the jungle. But for a time, God extends that grace, that goodness. Look at one last place, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2. I'm just trying to give you an idea of what Paul's getting at when it says continue in His goodness. This, the goodness of God is Him offering you the chance to repent. Revelation 2, look at verse uh, 21, I believe. Yes, Revelation 2, 21. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Now, I realize we're talking about Jezebel. There's a whole other thing going on there. I'm just showing you how God can give a person an opportunity, space to repent. Right? That's what we're looking at in Romans 11. God is giving various generations of the nations a chance to repent. And as long as they receive what God is revealing, then God continues to extend light, mercy, and grace, and so forth. Now back to Romans 11, verse 23. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. Israel can come back. They could, if they as a nation were to say, we accept Christ as the Messiah, God, bring them back. Verse 24, for if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? He says, guys, it wasn't easy to reach you Gentiles, but God was able to bring you in, clean you up, make you holy. How much easier do you think it's going to be for Him to bring the Jews back? They had a, they, they had a, a better start than you Gentiles. They have a better uh, heritage than you guys. It would be so much easier to bring them back. So Gentiles, don't despise them. Don't look down your nose at them. Verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. You start thinking you're better than you really are. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now going back into the Old Testament, you can see there were prophecies that God would give them uh, heavy eyes and dull ears. However, they did not see that God would turn to the Gentiles the way He is now doing, form this separate entity, the body of Christ, putting Gentiles on equal footing, and continue to extend mercy for this undisclosed period of time. That was all brand new information. The Jews weren't expecting it. The Gentiles weren't expecting it. So he says, guys, don't be ignorant of this that this situation, it is not permanent. Don't be ignorant of how this mystery works. It's not permanent. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. One day, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in,
God will again turn back to the, Gen, uh, to the Jews. He will speak to them clearly. Now, we don't have time to run all the references, but Luke 21, verse 24, it speaks about the, the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Luke 21, I just want to refresh it in my memory. Uh, let me just read the last part. Until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That's how Jesus referred to it. Now, that the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation. You can look at Luke 21, 24. You can see that in the context. So, just as we have in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, God slowly turns away from Israel towards the Gentiles. And then when you get into the tribulation, Years, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. God slowly turns back away from the Gentiles and deals directly head on with the Jews and will elevate them. You see it in verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now, when he says all Israel, right, he, he, he's not saying every individual Jew that has ever existed is going to be saved and allowed into the kingdom. We've studied this in Matthew. We know that not all uh, uh, Jews will be allowed in. However, when he says all Israel, he's talking about them corporately. The whole nation will be elevated and given this high status in the world once again. You can think of it like this as well. Uh, Israel got split up, right? Ten northern tribes, two southern tribes. But there are prophecies in Ezekiel and in Zechariah it talks about the two sticks being put back together, forming one stick. So Israel and Judah come back and forms one nation again, undivided. And I believe that's what Paul's getting at. All Israel shall be saved, as it is written. And then Paul is going to quote from Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. There shall come out of Sion the Deliverer, Jesus, of course, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins." That covenant, that runs into the new covenant. That'll be Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 down to 34. Let me also give you Daniel 9, verse 24. Daniel 9, 24 speaks about the time frame from the, the time of the city being rebuilt of Jerusalem. That happened in the days of Nehemiah until the coming of the Messiah. And it includes Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation time, all of that. It comes into view when we talk about God taking away the sins of the nation of Israel. Now, verse number, but that, that will happen when Jesus comes back. They, they will corporately, as a nation, be saved. Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. So now he turns his attention to this present time. What, what, is, what is our current status with Israel? How are we to view them? Well, when it comes to the gospel, they're enemies. They, they're going to persecute Christians, and they did mightily in the early days. But as touching the election, God's choosing of them as a nation, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Father's plural, you see that, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God gave promises to those men, God cannot deny Himself. The next verse, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So God will do what He promised to do. So you have to view them as a nation, as beloved, not because their behavior is great, not because they're smart or rich, but because of what God promised He would do. And God is, 
the God of His Word, it will eventually come to pass. But when it comes to the gospel, obviously, they are going to give people problems with that. Now, th this brings up a question that I sometimes get. Should Christians support the nation of Israel now? You know, they, people want to go there and do building projects or farming and, and build up that nation, right? Uh, let's, let's say in a secular way. Well, any sort of help, right, any sort of altruism, charity that you want to do towards that nation, I'm sure would be appreciated. But it would be the same as reaching out to any other needy nation. The help that we should now be giving Israel, the idea that if I bless them secularly, then God will bless me back, right? Because that was the promise to Abraham. You bless him, then... I got to tread lightly there because... I believe that God's promise back in Genesis 12 is true. I'm not going to go picking on the nation of Israel. But I wouldn't want to pick on any people group, right? We talked about it this morning. The golden rule applies. Who's my neighbor? It's not just a Jew. I'm not going to just do right to the nation of Israel because God. I'm going to try to do right to everyone. What is the best thing we can do now for the nation of Israel? We reach them with the gospel. Verse 30, For as ye in times past have not believed God, again, corporately as Gentiles, that's true, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Jews didn't believe in the Messiah, so the, the, the offer got extended to the Gentiles. He said that's how it panned out, that's how it worked. So verse 31, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. So Paul says, look at how this thing operates. Their unbelief got you mercy. So now if you will have mercy on them, you might fix their unbelief. And if you fix their unbelief, they can receive mercy from God. So this, this plan, the way God has it worked out, he wants to have mercy on all of them. How does He do it? If this group won't receive it, maybe this one will, and then this group will help get mercy back to the people who originally rejected it. But This is how we do it, by taking the gospel to them. Verse 32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief. Same idea as Romans 3.23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all. The same offer is made to every people group now. Verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! You could never have predicted or planned this out just with the human finite mind. These mysteries, no one would have seen it coming, no one would have understood it had it not been revealed. The only way that we can keep up with what God's doing is for Him to explain it to us. It has to come through divine revelation. And the depth of the riches of His wisdom and knowledge, guys, we'll never get to the bottom of it. I've been reading and studying the Bible for 24 years now, and every time I turn the page, there's still something fresh and something I've, I, I haven't seen before or haven't understood perfectly. You're never going to get to the bottom of that well. Verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Did anyone teach this or explain it to the Lord first? Well, obviously not. Verse 35, Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? You know, you've heard me say it many times that I appreciate Dr. Ruckman 
teaching me in Bible school and Brother Donovan. And, and I try to honor those who, who helped me get where I'm at. But God doesn't need to do that with anyone. God didn't go to anybody's class and get a degree. He doesn't need to say thank you for this and this person who instructed me and taught me and helped me. to No. It all started with Him. Verse 36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. What a wonderful way to finish the chapter. It's all of God. It started with Him and it came from Him. Now, when we say all things, literally all things, spiritual, physical, emotional, whatever the things are, it's of Him. Through Him. I'm going to, again, we can talk about how the universe is held together by the word of His power. It would apply to inanimate objects as well. But through Him, if we can think of this in, in, in a human aspect, everything works because God provides the necessary wisdom, strength, whatever you need to make that work. So if we look in the past, it's of Him. If we look in the present, it is through Him. We continue to exist and work and prosper and do what we do because God makes it available for us and aids us and helps us. And then to Him, that's the future. One day we'll stand before Him and give an account for how we used what He provided when we needed it. Of Him, through Him, to Him. And this is when I think there should be a, a resounding chorus breaking out behind me singing the circle of life, right? <laughs> because it, you, you end up right where you started. Of Him, through Him, to Him. It's the circle of life for sure. All right, we're going to stop there. I know I haven't seen any comments. So I think this is, has uh, died out. I'm going to restart it and then give you the notes for the exams. I will not take long, but I do want to go through these so that you understand the questions and then uh, we'll pray and be done for the night. If you have a question though, please feel free to slip it in now as I restart it. All right. I don't see any additional comments. Okay. Uh, here are the questions for the Romans exam. I'll start with that one since we just covered Romans. Number one, into what are people baptized according to Romans 6 verse 3? Two possible answers there. I'll accept either one. Or you can put them both together. Uh, number two, you're going to need to know standing and state because I've given you various phrases from verses in Romans 6. We are buried with Him by baptism into death. Is that standing or is that state? What does it describe? Number three, taking into account its context, explain briefly Romans 7 verse 11. This has to do with somebody uh, when they come to the age of accountability, they understand the law, they die when they willingly choose to go against it. I want you to be able to explain briefly what you find in Romans 7, 11. Verse 4, why would Paul refer to himself as a wretched man in Romans 7, 24? Number 5, which two laws does Paul compare in Romans 8? You'll find that in verse 2. Number 6, what type of condemnation can a believer suffer if he lives after the flesh? Now, I'm not asking you to tell me what, what the punishment would be. Is it something eternal or is it something otherwise? Uh, number seven, for what event is creation waiting so that it can receive liberty from its curse? Be very careful with the answer there. 
Number eight, what is the purpose of God's predestined plan? Romans 8, 29. That's where you need the answer. Number nine, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? All I need is one word on this. Paul gave us two verses to really give us one word. Uh, but Romans 8, 38 and 39. Number 10, what makes God's plan for Israel sure? This is in Romans 9. Paul touched on it in verses 7, 8, 9, 10. He really emphasizes it there. What makes it sure? Uh, number 11, give one biblical reference that shows God's choosing is conditional. There are dozens. I'll accept any proper answer. Uh, Israel, number 12, Israel rejected God's righteousness in favor of establishing what instead? Romans 10 verse 3. Uh, number 13, put the following things in the proper order as it pertains to reaching the lost. This will be Romans 10 verses 13, 14, 15 right in there. You just need to know the right order. Uh, you can see here I've given you lines on the paper. I've given you the proper answers here and you need to put it, what's the first thing, second thing, third, and so forth. Number 14, has God utterly forsaken Israel as a nation? We covered that tonight. And then finally, to what does the cutting off mentioned in Romans 11.22 pertain? So when we say God will cut you off, what, what does that mean exactly? And then two memory verses, Romans 8.28, Romans 10 verse 9. All right, Matthew exam. Forgive me, I'm moving quickly, but we usually move quickly through this in class. Number one, why did Jesus occasionally ask people to stay quiet about the miraculous mercy He had showed on them? There's a couple right answers to this, but we've, we've met this in Matthew a few times where He healed someone and said, don't tell anyone about it. Why is that? Number two, how many men were filled with the legion of devils in the land of the Gergesenes? Also, the maniac of Gadara. You can maybe remember it from that story, but Matthew tells us how many men were there. Number three, what mistake were the Pharisees making that required them to go and learn what I will have mercy and not sacrifice? I, I forgot a word there. It should say what that means, what that means. Uh, so what, what was their mistake? Number four, what prayer request did Jesus share with his disciples? That's at the end of Matthew 9. Number five, to which two places or people groups did Jesus forbid the apostles to go? Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. Number six, explain how Matthew 10, 23 will be fulfilled. That's a difficult one. Difficult one. But uh, you might want to go back and check your notes or check the, the recording for that. Number seven, what did Jesus mean when he said that he came not to bring peace but a sword? You'll find that in the context right below it. Number eight, what verse did chapter 11... I'm sorry, what verse from chapter 11 proves that the kingdom of heaven is not heaven? Just one verse. Number nine, what is promised to those who take Jesus' yoke and learns from him? You'll find that in Matthew 11, verse 29. Number 10, offer one reason an Old Testament Jew could violate the Sabbath day. In Matthew uh, 12, there are three cases presented there. You can use any one of those three. Number 11, why did Jesus not strive, cry out, or shout in the streets? That's explained a little later in Matthew 12. Uh, number 12, what must be done in order for someone to commit the unforgivable blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? Now this I turn you to Mark 3 verse 30 to get the answer, so be sure you are particular about that one. 
Number 13, what was the only sign that Jesus would offer that evil and adulterous generation? Which, by the way, I didn't mention that in the lesson tonight, but Jesus referred to that generation he was talking to as evil and adulterous and then cut them off by saying, no more signs for you. Uh, that'll be Matthew 12, verse 39. Number 14, according to the parable of the sower and the seed, to what do the following things correlate? What is the seed? What is the sower? What is the ground? Number 15, what was Jesus revealing in the parable found throughout? Uh, that should be parables, I'm sorry. What was Jesus revealing in the parables found throughout chapter 13? So he was revealing uh, Matthew 13, verse 11, I think it is. Check there. Uh, number 16, why did Herod have John the Baptist imprisoned? Pretty straightforward. How many loaves and fishes did Jesus use to feed 5,000 families? You should know that one. And number 18, lastly, in what watch of the night did Jesus walk on the water? And then only one memory verse, Matthew 11, verse 28. All right, there you go. I don't see any additional questions, so I'm going to close us with a word of prayer. Father, thank you tonight that we were able to uh, make our way through Romans chapter 11 and how true it is. God, no one, no one had to sit down and teach you first. God, we marvel at the depth of the riches of your wisdom and knowledge, how you put together such a perfect plan that mercy can, can extend to those that don't believe. And, and God, even though they started at unbelief, it goes to mercy. Mercy fixes it. Only a God as smart as you could figure all this out, put it all together the way it, the way it works. Lord, thank you for extending mercy to us. Thank you for giving us a chance. Help us not to take it lightly. God, help us to reach out to those around us and try to extend that same mercy to them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys have a great night and enjoy your break.